Hi, it's Cara Brown, and this is Watercolor Conversations. It's a place where I share my love of watercolor and my seeking, my teaching, my discoveries, the connections I see, and just in general what it's like to be alive at this time here on planet Earth. I hope that this meets a part of you that's longing to be met. Thanks for being here. Hi, it's Kara. I'm gonna try something really outside the box for this episode. I am going to do something that I would think only can be done visually. That is, if I were to be recording a video. And I'm not yet to the point where I'm ready to record video for these podcasts because I, it's, it sounds really lame, but I don't have video editing down, but I can do audio editing. So this is what I'm doing. I'm doing what I can do. <laughs> and I just taught a workshop this past weekend and the idea came to me that maybe it might work. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. It's just a podcast episode, right? So I have this series of weekend days. There are five of them, and I call them Watercolor Basics and Beyond. And the first one is called All About the Water. Because watercolor isn't watercolor without water. And for people who are just starting out, it seems to be the trickiest. It's the most unwieldy and, I don't know, just like, wow, what do you do here with all this watery stuff? I find that people who don't really understand will put their brush in a blob of watercolor paint and attempt to paint it all sticky and dry without water. So it's not obvious. You know, the other painting mediums, you can do that conceivably. Squeeze it out of the tube, get a brush and go. But that's really just not how watercolor works. So I wanted to share some things that I have come to understand about this medium in the way that I see it and to see if it's useful for you even just using my voice. So watercolor has this reputation for being really difficult. And some of that is well-deserved. I mean, it is tricky. It's unwieldy. I believe that it resists being tamed unless you want to paint with it in such a controlled way with so little water that it isn't, doesn't have the spirit of watercolor, rather. So there's that. And on one end of the spectrum, there's really tight. And on the other end, there's nothing but water and it'll do whatever it wants to do. But for those of us who are called to try to make paintings that have at least some of the spirit of watercolor and with a certain amount of control, we have to work in the tricky middle. I see it that the water is an actual actor in the act of painting. It's a, it's a factor, it's a player, it's a partner between the brush, the paper, the hand, and then there's the water. It has its, its role to play. 
and it's something that I don't know is entirely masterable, but one can certainly get a handle on using it and at least knowing when it's not doing what you want it to do, why and what the next step is. So I think it's a never-ending process. Learning to paint is a forever thing. And every time I'm faced with the variability of a painting in watercolor, I get it afresh how this medium is the way it is. But it's also, for me, just the most beautiful. And I have no choice. Watercolor is underneath my skin and I have to paint with it. So I have to deal. So as I alluded to before, you have to use a certain amount of water mixed in with the paint. Watercolor comes two ways, pans and tubes. And with pans, it's quite obvious because it's a dried block of paint and you have to work the surface of the pan with your brush in order to get anything off to paint with. But with tubes, it'll come out gooey before it dries. And by the way, for anyone who really doesn't know this, watercolor blobs of paint can dry and be used almost indefinitely. They can be reconstituted just like pans can. But what I always do, oh, almost always, is to take my brush and put it in water and dip it in the paint and then swirl that on a flat surface we call a palette. It's best if it's white because that's how you see the color the most accurately. It can be a plate or an actual palette that you buy at the art store. Usually they're made out of plastic, but sometimes they're enamel-covered steel or some kind of porcelain or something. And I see what it's doing, and I can check the consistency, and I can get what it's happening with it before I then touch it to my paper. So watercolor needs water. That's kind of the foundational piece. And then I have three principles. They're kind of like I said this this past weekend, like the laws of thermodynamics, (laughs) the physics of watercolor and watercolor paper. And the first one is that the more water, the more movement, the less control. So if you're feeling like it's kind of going all over the place, try painting with a little less water. As well, the converse is true. The less water, the less movement, the more control. So if you're not getting that effect of watercolor, you need more water. If it's just not going anywhere, it's just sitting there. Water is what you need. So that's the first one. The next thing that you can count on with watercolor is that the paint will go where the water is and it won't go where it isn't. So if you have a wet spot on your paper and you put paint to it, the paint will move conceivably to the edge of that wet spot, depending on how much water is on your brush and how much paint, but then it won't go any further. So this is another way that you can control what happens with watercolor, and that is by really paying attention to and managing what is wet and where you paint. So that means if you do not want two spots to merge with each other on your paper, and they're right next to one another, you have to wait for the first one to dry before you paint the second one. 
once it's dry, it's not going to go over. So you have a super dark background that's coming around a really lovely, soft, pastel petal of a flower, which is something that happens in my art, not infrequently. I can paint that background, which I do. I do my backgrounds first. And if it's really dry, and I'm careful not to get my brush up too close to it because a dark background means a lot of pigment, then that dark background is not going to encroach upon my lovely, soft, light-colored flower. So you can count on that one. That's number two. And the next one and last one is that nature seeks equilibrium. And water will go from where there's more of it to where there's less of it. So that means if your brush is full of water and your paper is dry, the water and the paint in it, uh, in the brush, are going to go down onto the paper. If your brush is damp and you have a big wet passage on your paper and you put your brush down, your brush is going to pick up the water and potentially paint on your paper. So it works the same way with the palette as the paper. The brush will pick up sometimes and it will lay down sometimes. So that is how that works. So if you consider these three things, the more water, the more movement, the less control and the reverse, that's one and two, that the paint will go where the water is and it won't go where it isn't. And number three is that nature seeks equilibrium. The water is going to go from where there's more of it to where there's less of it. Then you have a chance of trying to sort out how this thing works with water. I like to think about the pigment that I'm painting with, the pigment in the paint as as a physical substance. It is particles. Some of them are very, very, very tiny, and some of them are not so very tiny. And they have matter, and they are suspended in the water, and you can do stuff with them. Sometimes I have the experience when I'm painting, laying down, picking up, because I, you can pick up, and I do pick up often, is that I'm actually almost sculpting, almost manipulating those particles of pigment in solution on my paper and doing stuff with them. In softening an edge, for example, you have a dry passage of watercolor down on your paper, and the edge is nice and crisp, but maybe you don't want it nice and crisp. You want it a little bit kind of graduated so it's soft edge. What you need to do is to remove those particles that are right along the edge that are all lined up right up against the edge of where the, the wet ended. So it stopped. Sometimes it's, they even pile up there even more than in the middle of the passage. And you use a wet brush to kind of disturb that edge and have those particles of pigment end up in the brush. And then you can clean your brush in the water and blot it a little bit and go back and do a little more. And you've then kind of taken the particles of paint so that they no longer pile up right on that crisp edge. It's helpful, I think, to think of it this way. 
And another example of this is if you want to, if you want to have a completely dense, saturated background as contrast, you want a super dark passage. I think of it as piling up so many pigment particles, all concentrated really intensely, deeply with each other so that I'm completely blocking out the paper. The white of the paper is obscured by so much pigment that none of the paper can shine through. So you're just piling it on. When you do that, you have to have not just enough water to make it nice and smooth, but enough pigment so that it's completely solid. The physical property of it, I think, really helps when, when we're thinking about it that way. As I mentioned earlier, paint can not just go down, but it, it can come back up, especially when it's wet. I love to do this. I love to like lay something down and like, okay, so it's a rose petal, which I've painted, I don't know, many, many, many hundreds, maybe thousands of rose petals. And they have sometimes little valleys that will catch a little bit of shadow. So you have these kind of shapes. Sometimes they're almost like in a rough, irregular stripe on the on the rows. And if you lay them down into a wet petal, a damp petal, and a shape isn't quite what you want it to be, I can clean my brush and go back in and reshape that little bit of paint that I put down in the middle of that petal. It works really well when things are still wet. Even staining pigments don't really, as long as the paper's nice and moist, you can, you have a, a time that you can play with them. However, once the pigment has dried on your paper, lifting up is a bigger job. And it depends somewhat on the level to which the paint that you're working on, working with, is staining of the paper. And that generally happens when those particles I was talking about are really tiny. And those little particles can then kind of sift their way down into the fibers of the paper in a, in a deeper way than if they're kind of like rather than, you know, little teeny sand instead of, you know, pebbles. Pebbles will sit up on the surface a little more and you have a chance of lifting them off. But the, the, the finer pigments that are more staining really get embedded in the paper and you you may need to if you need to go all the way back to white in that spot you may need to use some level of abrasion which you can use uh, brushes and Mr. Clean pads but it's possible to go back and especially if that section that you're lifting is going to go back to white if you're using you know decent paper I like to paint on 300 pound cold press and it doesn't have the really super smooth surface that hot press does. So I can um, do some amount of mild damage to the paper and it's not visible like it would be so much when you would have like a mark on it if you're working with hot press paper. So I guess someone could say that maybe that the way that I paint isn't as fresh and free and loose. It's certainly not as loose as as other people do paint in watercolor, but it's how I do it and it's how it wants to come through me and I have a lot of fun doing it, putting it down and picking it up and doing other things with it and my paintings are my paintings. 
But I just wanted to put that in as a disclaimer because there are a lot of opinions in the art world about how things should go and whether or not to use photographs and whether or not to use some kind of a projection tool to make drawings and and how loose and fresh your watercolors are versus um, tortured like mine are. <laughs> so uh, that's, I think, what I wanted to share today, that that there's a practice to this. There's no substitute for getting your hand on a brush and putting it in water and in pigment and on paper and seeing what it does. You can watch YouTube videos and other people paint until the end of time and you'll never really get it until you put your hand in it. So you get yourself dirty, so to speak. And see how it goes and watch it go awry and sort out how that could be done differently. But it you you just got to get to it. So if this is something that you're interested in, if there's an inkling in you that says, I want to paint in watercolor, go get yourself some a little bit of paint and you know you can get halfway decent inexpensive brush or two and get yourself a, a small block of nice watercolor paper and give it a go give it a try and if there's some way in which I can support your painting journey let me know go to my website send me an email I'd love to hear from you okay thanks for tuning in I really appreciate it I love knowing that there are people out there who are interested in what I have to say and I and I'm grateful okay till next time Thanks so much. Bye-bye.